This UCSD TV program is a presentation of University of California Television for educational and non commercial use only. We'll move on now to the next speaker, Yoav Galad from the University of Chicago. The title of his presentation is Comparing Immune Response Pathways in Primates. Uh, thank you very much for uh, the invitation to speak in this uh, session. Like uh, Jim and Katie, uh, my lab is interested in uh, gene regulatory processes that underlie human-specific traits. And uh, I can use their uh, uh, two presentations as a uh, great introduction to the uh, topic I will be talking about, namely the fact that you might use variation and changes in gene regulatory states across species to try and explain important phenotypes, and in particular, human-specific phenotypes. There have been actually many other systems that use the same rationale to explain variation in ultimate physiological or morphological phenotypes in nature in a wide variety of species from uh, butterflies and, and different population of fish. This is a stickleback fish, uh, wing pigmentation in Drosophila, yeast, and, and even uh, Darwin finches, uh, the origin of, of uh, the observation of uh, uh, the process of evolution that underlies variation. In particular, in human, there are uh, different examples where gene regulatory processes underlie human-specific traits, and you've heard some of these talks just now, and, and these are also the, some of the examples that I have from uh, Katie and, uh, and Jim, among others. And what I'll be talking about today is actually taking a little bit back to a genomic view uh, and trying to understand the differences in gene regulatory uh, phenotypes that have something to do with immune response or differences in immune response across species. And the reason, the motivation for this study is the observation that among some of the uh, very obvious differences between humans and our uh, uh, extant, closely extant evolutionary relatives, the, the non-human apes, there are also differences in susceptibility to diseases, and in particular, differences in susceptibility to infectious diseases and immune-related diseases. And this is a, a partial list from a relatively uh, uh, old now uh, review that uh, Ajit was, was a co-author on. And so we would like to perform a comparison of the immune response across species. We would like to understand uh, what are the differences in immune response between species are and whether we can use these differences to try and understand why different species, in particular humans, are, have differences in susceptibility to uh, disease. And so we only take first, at this, in this uh, uh, presentation, I'll only tell you about first steps towards addressing this problem. It's a complicated problem, and, and uh, this is just uh, the beginning of, of our uh, characterization of these differences. And we begin by focusing on one aspect of the innate immune response, and these are particular pathways that are mediated by one immune response receptor that's called toll-like receptor 4. 
Now, I don't need you to understand the entire regulatory pathway that is involved in this immune response in order to uh, appreciate the next uh, parts of the talk. What I do want you to take uh, from this slide is just the fact that we know a lot about immune response. So people have been studied immune response and the immune system in humans, in mice, in other organisms for three, four decades now with respect to the molecular response. And we know a lot about the connections and the networks and the connectivity and the regulatory responses and changes uh, uh, that are involved in immune response to different stimuli and, and different infections. And so when we focus on a particular pathway or, or particular mediated pathways, uh, we can leverage a lot of this existing knowledge to focus on changes that are really relevant and well understood in the context of global immune response in, in humans. The, the receptors that we chose to work with or use uh, treatment that will stimulate is a particular receptor that mediates both general response as well as response to particular viruses or bacteria. And the way we stimulated it is by, once again, we, this is a genomic approach. We can use all these technologies you've heard about, the sequencing, the microarrays, to look at regulatory changes across the entire genome. And the way we stimulated the, res, the res, immune response is by using synthetic ligand uh, molecule that's called LPS, which uh, is part of bacteria. And when you treat uh, immune-related cells that we can draw from blood samples, with this uh, molecule, with the synthetic ligand, the LPS, you uh, stimulate an immune response in the cell, and you can measure that immune response in different ways, including by looking at the gene regulatory processes following the stimulation, for example, at a time course for 12 and 24 hours after the stimulation. So our particular study design is to take samples, blood samples from humans, chimpanzees, and rhesus macaques, as outgroup, old monkey, and uh, we took samples from six individuals from each of these species. And once again, this, as other speakers noted, these samples are taken using uh, routine checkups. We don't really do any experiments on animals. It's a simple blood test. And then we can take primary cells from the blood samples and stimulate them with LPS and simply compare the immune response, immune regulatory response following the treatment to cells that were not stimulated. So uh, we are uh, collecting RNA from these cells that were stimulated and non-stimulated, and we're looking at the gene expression level across all the genes in the genome in all these samples. And the first thing we see uh, when we look at correlation of gene expression patterns across samples is that the human gene expression levels are more similar to gene expression levels in other humans, and same is true for chimpanzees and rhesus. So the gene expression patterns cluster by species, and the species cluster according to the phylogenetic tree, the known phylogenetic relationship between the species, so the human and chimpanzees are more closely related than the rhesus. This is really just used as a quality control sanity check to make sure that uh, our data makes sense. One aspect of this figure that it's difficult for you to see is that stimulated cells have an expression profile that is more similar uh, to each other than to non-stimulated cells. And that, of course, also makes sense. Stimulation is uh, an enormous perturbation that uh, changed the entire immune response related to regulatory networks. Once we know that the quality of the data is high, we can start uh, identifying or classifying those genes whose regulation was affected by this treatment, by the immune stimulation, 
and simply uh, make long lists of genes that were affected by the stimulation at four hours, at 24 hours, at, at, at 12 hours, and conduct this experiment in each of the species. So perform uh, uh, this classification separately in each of the species, and then we can put it all together and ask how many of these pathways always respond regardless of the species, and how many of these pathways respond only in one or two of the species. And this is really where it gets interesting. So we see that most of the genes that respond to the immune stimulation respond in all the species, or at least in two of the species. There is a, it's a very conserved mechanism. It's the innate immune response. Uh, all mammals have it. Many non-mammals also have it. And we expect it to be a, a highly conserved process. But we also see species-specific responses to this stimulation. And of course, this is where it becomes interesting. We would like to know what type of genes respond only in humans, only in chimpanzees, and whether we can use that to explain a little bit uh, uh, the differences in susceptibility to disease between the species and some other human species-specific processes. Uh, we do that by starting to ask questions about the genes we classify as differentially expressed. What are they doing? What's already known about them? What type of processes and phenotypes they underlie? And here we, as I mentioned, can leverage the enormous amount of knowledge on immune response pathways. It's a very well-studied uh, uh, biological process. And we can start seeing, and this is, for example, among the common uh, or conserved immune response pathways, that there are a lot of genes known to participate in immune uh, regulatory pathway, in cytokine secretion, in uh, T cell acting genes, uh, anti apoptotic genes, a lot of the classically immune response pathways, as well as when we look at the uh, modes of regulation of these genes, we found that they have regulatory elements for transcription factors that are known to be central in mediated, mediating immune response. So once again, this, this slide didn't really tell us anything new. It established that what we see, our observations, make sense in light of what's already known about immune response. And, and now we can start looking at, at differences, uh, uh, having this confidence of what we see really is related to a phenotype, and ask, can we tell anything new about immune response differences? And in the first of those slides, I will use a classification of different types of immune response from, from independent work that uh, look for immune response that is either general, and that was interpreted as perhaps uh, uh, alarm signal for, for infection. So it doesn't really matter why the body is infected. The first general signals are the, the alarm signature. Uh, there's a problem, and immune response needs to be triggered. Uh, and we'll call that the universal response. To response that is specific to different type of microorganisms, say a viral infection or bacterial infection. So again, there's a lot of work done on this, and so we, we can have these different types of uh, response highly characterized, and we know which genes belong to different response. And so that would be here on the x-axis. And then on the y-axis, I'm showing you the proportion of genes that responded to the immune stimuli in all three species, in just two species, or, or just one species. And so what should be generally apparent from this uh, picture is that we have this high proportion of genes that responded in all species among the universal response. And then we have a lower proportion of this blue section among uh, genes that respond specifically to viral or bacterial infection. We can look at it from a slightly different perspective, and that might be clearer if we now look at genes that responded in all three species or genes that responded in only one species on the x-axis. So now the, 
the x-axis is just the difference between how specific the response is. And this time the colors on the right-hand side distinguish between genes that are universally responding or genes that respond to bacterial or viral infection only. So, so that classification now is expressed in the different colors. And so it's very clear from, from uh, this way of presenting the data that when you're talking about res immune response that is species specific, uh, we have a very large enrichment of bacterial and in particular viral response genes. And that makes sense because the uh, evolution of the, the race of evolution of uh, host and pathogen uh, responses and, and, and new developments is fastest with viruses that can evolve much faster. And, and we see that the genes that participate in the virus responses really do evolve much faster in a species-specific way than, for example, the genes that participate in the universal response. These are, these are again, the general alarm signals. Uh, they're not necessarily specific to a particular bacteria, and they participate uh, in, in, in response in all these three species. Another interesting aspect of, the, uh, of studying this immune response in a comparative way, and I'm not sure we would have been able to see it unless uh, in any other way if we didn't have comparative data, is the fact that sometimes immune response is a matter of reaching the right regulatory state, not necessarily changing a gene regulatory level. And, and this slide expresses it. The, the y-axis here is simply a relative expression level. The numbers don't really matter. If it's high on the y-axis, it's high expression level, and if it's low on the y-axis, it's low expression level. And what you see here on the x-axis is, in this case, the four, the 12, and the 24 hours, the expression levels of the non-stimulated cells and the expression levels of the immune response stimulated cells. And each of these dots and data points here is, is the mean and standard deviation of expression level for a particular gene in the non-stimulated and stimulated in the humans, chimpanzees, and rhesus macaques. So we have we have uh, uh, six panels here. And what you see in all these panels is conversion of the expression level following the stimulation, whereby before the stimulation, the expression levels across the species was highly variable. And this demonstrates the fact that sometimes following infection, it's not about changing the expression level, it's, by, it's about reaching the actual state of expression that best addresses the uh, immune response. So in this particular case, if you are a human or a rhesus macaque, you probably do need to change some the regulatory, uh, the expression level of this gene following the infection because this is the favored state. But if you happen to be the chimpanzee, you already were in the favored state and, and not a lot of gene expression difference is needed. And this, this actually uh, uh, brings up a slightly different aspect of comparative genomics. It's not only about looking at differences in their response across species. It's a lot of the time developing an understanding of what is the optimal state you need to reach, and not necessarily about moving to that state if you're already there. Having that understanding, you can start looking at networks of interactions and networks of gene regulation because you appreciate the fact that it's about the state of the network and not just whether gene regulatory uh, phenotypes have changed following the uh, treatment. So this is one of the human-specific regulatory networks of genes that either responded specifically in the human lineage or other genes that just uh, reach a particular state that was favorable uh, following the stimulation. And in this case, what's, what's unusual about this network of interaction, and for those of you who are not used to see that, every ball here represents a gene, there's a gene name, and every line here represents an interaction, a known confirmed interaction 
between the two genes or two proteins in a cell. And there is an overrepresentation in this uh, network for genes that are involved in cancer and for genes that are involved in apoptosis. So this is an immune response specific to human of a lot of genes that are involved in cancer biology. And now there are a lot of anecdotal evidence, and, and you could have seen it quickly from the uh, couple of introductory slides I showed you. There are a lot of anecdotal evidence that cancer affects human perhaps differently than it affects some non-human uh, apes. And so, uh, and of course, immune response is a, is a very large player in, in tumor development and cancer biology. And so that gives us maybe the first hints towards phenotypes that are relevant and might explain human-specific susceptibilities. We can play this game with, with uh, chimpanzee and rhesus macaque data. We are human-centric, but this is a comparative genomic approach that allows us to ask these questions about the other species. And these are uh, similar networks, except in this, in this time, the modules are not based on known interaction between genes for the simple reason that being human-centric, we haven't collected much data as a community on uh, regulatory networks in non-human primates. But so this time, instead of looking for confirmed regulatory interactions, we look at co-expression networks, which is simply saying we use our own data to ask whether the state of the regulatory network has changed uh, from non-stimulated to stimulated. Uh, and we can, again, play the same game of asking whether we understand any biological coherence to these regulatory networks that, that have changed. But let's go back to human because we are human-centric and try to bring it back to disease and ask whether we can gain any insight from comparative genomics of immune response into a human disease. And in the first uh, of those results, the first slide I'll show you on the y-axis, the proportion of disease-associated genes. So these are genes that were previously associated with human uh, disease that is related to immune response in, in some way. So either because they're infectious diseases and we know something about uh, the genetic basis for variability and susceptibility to them or because they're uh, clearly immune-related genes such as uh, uh, autoimmune. And then in the different colors, I'm showing you either all the genes in that for which we got data or obtained data in our study or the genes that responded only in human, only in chimpanzee, or only in rhesus macaque to the immune-related stimulation. And as you can see, we have the highest proportion of human-specific response genes among genes that are uh, related to uh, human diseases. And I'm sure that if we had a good database of uh, genes that are involved in chimpanzee-specific diseases and in rhizospecific diseases, I could have drawn the same plot and, and showing you that the blue would have, would have been higher in the rhizospecific diseases and so on and so forth, because it makes sense these immune response processes are related and probably underlying part the species-specific susceptibility. In one, uh, but we don't have this data for the other species. We, we don't really collect a lot of data on association studies in chimpanzees and, and rhesus macaques. But one example we do have, and this, is, this has to do with progression to AIDS following infection with HIV or SIV. As you probably all know, HIV uh, and AIDS are studied uh, uh, primarily in, in rhesus macaques and, and other non-human primates. And we have known for quite some time that one of the differences between uh, animals is in their susceptibility to progression to AIDS following the infection with SIV. And in particular, humans and uh, rhesus macaque progress to a, uh, AIDS pretty rapidly after infection with uh, S SIV or, a or HIV, and chimpanzees don't 
progress that easily. There are a couple of conflicting reports, but by and large, chimpanzees are pretty resistant. So you can infect them with SIV, and they almost never progress. And what I'm showing you here is that among genes that are known to participate in host interaction with HIV and SIV, we have a higher proportion of genes that are known that, that in our study have responded to immune stimulation specifically in chimpanzee. So that is very intriguing. Uh, clearly, we, the immune response has something to do with uh, 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 the rates and variation in progression to AIDS after infection with SIV. And this study, of course, did not infect any animal or blood cells with, with SIV or HIV. It was simply a synthetic ligand that we used for the infection. And nevertheless, it's easy to assume that these results reflect some regulatory networks and state in the uh, chimpanzee immune response that is related to this difference in phenotypes between the species. So I'm gonna leave you with this uh, uh, example that certainly suggests that we can uh, use this approach to learn more about the genetic uh, basis for differences between species in susceptibility to disease and finish by uh, give credit to all my people, the people in the lab that actually do this work, and in particular, Luis, uh, who was a postdoc in the lab and now is an independent position in Montreal, who did much of the immune response work, and our collaborator, Jonathan, Matthew, and John, who, are computa who provide computational and statistical support for all these studies. No uh, babies were uh, harmed during the photographing of the pictures, uh, including my daughter. Thank you.